today's podcast. Hello. Shit. I gotta get my desktop in order here. Come on, moron. There you go. All right. Today's podcast is brought to you by my patrons. Hello. Patrons are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. I'm going to shout out my patrons. I'm going to give you the two rules for the podcast, and we're going to be on our merry way today with a nice Saturday shit sandwich. It's on its way, folks. First and foremost, I want to shout out my good friend George Gammon over at the Rebel Capitalist Pro platform, my favorite forum. You can catch me over there, although I do a little bit more reading than I do posting. But Rebel Capitalist Pro is George Gammon's platform with Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. If you understand where we're going when we talk macro on this program and you want to learn a little bit more with less dick and fart jokes, George Gammon's got the serious platform to do that. Not only is George a very smart individual himself, had him on the podcast numerous times, but Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh wonderful people. You can track their portfolios. You can ask them questions. They do live Q&As like three times a week. The forums are an invaluable resource, and I've actually learned uh, some pretty cool things over there. I found a couple of great uh, high-yielding stocks from Lynn Alden's portfolio last week that I was looking at. So uh, check out Rebel Capitalist Pro and my buddy George Gammon. He's been on the show. You know him. I know him. We both love him. Link to that is in my podcast description. And, uh, and if you use that link, George will give you whatever you want. Ask him for a discount or whatever. He'll make sure you get it. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at JM Bullion. JM Bullion is the only place that I buy my gold and silver. That's it. I don't order physical bullion from anywhere else. I like JM Bullion. I trust them. They support the podcast. They turn my orders around quickly. They always have a decent amount of inventory in stock. And so for me, it's a very easy decision. I've used other bullion providers Nice people, but not quite as quick or as efficient as JM Bullion. They've been in business for 10 years. They've done over $3 billion in sales. They've got a good reputation in the industry. Their link is in my podcast description. And if you're a QTR podcast listener and you want personalized service, just email Kathy, K-A-T-H-Y, Kathy at jmbullion.com. She's there for QTR podcast listeners only. So, uh, she, And she's very eager to help, and she's wonderful for dealing with all of you degenerates that are constantly bludgeoning her with emails. So shout out to Kathy. This podcast also brought to you by... Blah, 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 blah. Nice job, moron. This podcast also brought to you by my brother, Sang Lucci, over at The Steam Room. Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus are two household names in the equities and options trading universe. At least in my house they are. And their platform, the Steam Room, offers the single best important... What the fuck? Sorry, I'm reading from something now. He gave me a script to read, so I'm doing that instead of, instead of doing my normal off the top of my head. So pay attention. The Steam Room offers the single best trading environment for day and swing traders on the, re- on the web. That, that statement, I validate. I like that. You can track most uh, important options flow through their proprietary scanner... Hey, look, the fucking software is wonderful, all right? I can't do the script anymore. Sorry, Charlie. I love you. Charlie Bathgate, my buddy, sent me a script. It's just a wonderful platform. These guys know what they're doing. They're very smart. They've been tracking options activity since before Fintwit even existed. Check out my friends over at the Steam Room. Show them some love, man. Sang Lucci's going to come up to uh, Philly in uh, this summer, and I think we're going to do a Lucci Meets together. So Lucci and his platform, those links, JM Bullion, etc., all in my podcast description. Finally, this podcast brought to you by my brother Pete Hedges over at The Trader's Path, which is if you're looking for a day trading community run by an honest guy that's not going to front run you, that's not going to feed you a lot of bullshit, 
That isn't under investigation by the Federal Trade Commission, which is always something good to look for. Check out my buddy Pete over at the Trader's Path. Investor education, daily watch list. Pete does it all. And he's a hell of a nice guy, too. What do you think about that? His link is also in the podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by my fucking patrons. Ladies and gentlemen, patrons are the people that sign up and support me on a monthly basis. I'm going to shout some of them out real quick. How about Hot Butter? Thank you for signing up, my brother. ELA and Justin Katz. Reese Holcomb, user 1234. Marcus Schneidel, Scott Weisenfeld, Rainer Schwartz, Sam Blake, Andrew Peterson, Sam Burrell. Thank you guys so much for signing up on Patreon. I appreciate that shit. Finally, some people that have been with me for a minute. Jim Fahey, uh, Jordan Weaver, Richard Heath, Government Cheese still in the house. My friend Jay Mintzmeyer, Russ Valenti, Nicholas Parks. Oh my goodness, the list could go on forever. But it's not going to because we got to get started. This podcast has a three-drink minimum, formerly a two-drink minimum, adjusted for actual inflation, which is 50% every two years based on my calculations. And finally, I'm not an investment advisor, a registered anything. I hold no licenses, no registrations. This is not investment advice. Do everything at your own risk. Please, if you have problems, see a therapist. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about your great successes. I don't want to hear about your failures. I have my own life to worry about. Having said that, let's get started. That was good. I did the intro in like five minutes that time. I rushed through it, but you know, whatever. It is, of course, time for our latest installment of Our Bullshit Economy. And there is really no better time than now to acknowledge that the economy is bullshit. And it isn't just the economy that's bullshit. It is the stock market. It's the capital markets. And really, it's the global monetary system that's bullshit. And... You know, let's just start from a broader perspective, okay? People say, why is the Austrian business cycle important, right? So if you're brand new to macro, and I'm going to dumb this down, but there's basically two schools of thought, right? You have the Keynesians and you have the Austrians. The Austrians basically believe that recessions are and market pullbacks as results of uh, recessions are important functions of the market, that they do good things. They rake in malinvestment. They wash away all of the bad decisions that have been made of years prior. Um, and that is a function of when you see a, a major recession happen, that's what happens. Companies that are poorly run wind up going bankrupt and then are you know, either liquidated or more commonly they are reestablished with more competent management. Um, and so every poor decision that had been made leading up to an eventual recession gets dealt with. It gets taken out to the woodshed and things kind of get reset. It's like the waves kind of crashing over the shores where you've written on the sand. And, and eventually uh, the sand goes back to being very, very smooth and life goes on again, and the business cycle starts again. And Keynesians think that that, what I just described, is essentially the devil reincarnate, okay? That we can't have any type of recession. The economy can't bear the brunt uh, of any type of, well, really the market, because the economy is getting smacked. But the reasoning is that, that many uh, Keynesians cite is, you know, loss of jobs, which is a function of a recession, right? Employment is supposed to drop as a result of a, of a recession because people spend less. And instead of looking at that as a natural function 
of a naturally functioning market where you have booms and busts, the central banks recently over the last, you know, 30, 40 years have done everything in their power to try to quote unquote correct that according to them, which is to stimulate the economy back to where it was prior to the recession, or at least now give the appearance that the economy is back to where it was prior to the recession. Because that's really what we have now. I mean, we have millions and millions of people unemployed, but the stock market is at all-time high. So what does that do? I mean, that paints the picture that everything is going well, but everything really isn't going well. Um, And as a result of that policy of continued stimulus, instead of just letting the market function and allowing the natural ebbs and flows of the market to take place, when you force a bunch of money into the money supply, it's got a bunch of negative consequences. Like, yeah, the stock market may go back up, and yeah, people may be getting a check for $1,200, and they may think that's good, but specifically, the way that we're running stimulus in this country, where you know 80% of it or 85% of it goes to the stock market and the bond market, and the other 15% goes to the people, it has really a nefarious effect. If the Fed prints $5 trillion and it uses $4 trillion of that to prop up the stock market, and it uses $1 trillion of it to cut people's stimulus checks, all it's doing is widening the very same inequality gap that the Fed and the morons in Congress claim to be so pissed off about. Because 80% of that money gets diverted to financial assets that only benefit the rich, and the other 20% is your $600 check that you get that you can't save because there's no yield on savings, so you have to put it somewhere, so you put it into Dogecoin or whatever fucking dumbass, invaluable, uh, not invaluable, valueless asset uh, is trendy this week, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But it leaves people no choice. People feel like they are constantly trying to play catch up, which is why you see these headlines last year about 2020, which was really quite a bad year economically for the country. The country got smacked economically because of the pandemic. I mean, all these businesses shut down. Millions of people are unemployed. People, you know, were missing their bills. There's uh, eviction moratoriums going on because people can't pay their rent. I mean, it was really, it was an economic depression, a true economic depression. And the Fed tried to paper it over. They tried to print their way out of the depression, which actually, when you think about it, may have worked better if they had just taken all $5 trillion and divided it evenly amongst the citizens of the country and given them a check for it, right? This is a question that nobody asks themselves. If the Fed's going to print $5 trillion to bail out the country, what's wrong with just printing $5 trillion and dividing it by 350 million citizens and cutting everybody a check for $15,000? What's wrong with that? That would have done a lot better That would have helped out a lot more and would have been a lot fairer than diverting 80% of the money to financial markets and giving 20% of the money to citizens. Because then what happens is Elon Musk's net worth goes up $100 billion last year. 
Jeff Bezos's net worth goes up, you know, I don't know, probably $100 billion last year. The top 50 or 100 richest people in 2020 saw their wealth rise by something like $1.3 trillion last year. And that is a direct result of the Fed propping up the stock market. It's very simple. Many of the richest people in the world, your Bill Gates, your Jeff Bezos, many of them, their net worth is mostly stock. Bill Gates still has a ton of Microsoft stock. Jeff Bezos has a ton of Amazon stock. Elon Musk has a ton of Tesla stock. And their net worth is directly predicated on what the stock market does. And it's not just the top billionaires in the country where that function holds true. It's many of the very rich people, you know, people that are worth 50 million, 100 million, 500 million, a billion, 10 million. Many of those people have their wealth tied up in the stock market. So when the Fed disproportionately diverts that much money to the markets, all it's doing is, you know, when the market rallies 100% off lows, you're literally doubling the net worth of all of these rich fucks that are in the stock market or have their net worth tied to the stock market. And then you throw the everyday worker, the guy working at Popeye's or the guy driving the Uber, $600. And I mean, it's that simple. I just laid it out for you in two minutes. And the Fed is constantly on this tour and on this back and forth with Congress and politicians that don't really seem to understand how this works about what are we going to do? What is the Fed going to do to fight equality? The question should be, what is the Fed not going to do to fight equality? Maybe just stop fucking doing anything and, and try to let everything catch up to where it's supposed to be a little bit. Maybe that would be the first order of business. But really, what the Fed could do is it could go and it could print a proportionate amount of money. And I don't, I don't advocate for money printing. I think it's a stupid solution. But if you want a Keynesian solution, the Fed can go back and print, you know, for the middle and lower class and the people that didn't get it to give them a boost in proportion of what they printed and diverted to the bond market over the last year or two. That would be a good start. I mean, if you're in Congress... You just got to listen to the last three minutes before you, ha- before you have these meetings. I mean, that, that's what's going on. The inequality gap is widening. People don't even see it. They don't even understand the effects of... And it's so crazy because the Fed gets this pass, right? Congress people who are either ignorant or clueless, most of the time both, I would guess, when they're talking to the Fed about inequality, they don't really seem to understand how we got this unequal to begin with. And in my YouTube video I did a couple weeks ago called The Weighted Blanket Theory, talking about the GameStop mess, one of the things that I postulated was that a lot of the unrest in the country, whether it's the George Floyd protests or whether it's the uh, Wall Street bets nonsense or the Capitol insurrection, a lot of it falls under the same, I think, socioeconomic weighted blanket that's falling on the middle and lower class. And it's suffocating people. And it's a result of inflation. And it's a result of the inequality gap widening. I mean, we all know that CPI, they come out with this CPI number, okay, 2%, whatever. The inflation's not there. We just don't see it. But if you look at something like the Chapwood Index, which really measures inflation on a basket of 500 you know, consumer products and services, you can very clearly see that prices are rising between 8 and 13% per year. 
And I don't even need to tell most people that. If you go to the food store and you're accounting for shrinkflation, right, which is the, uh, a lot of times could, uh, producers will hold the same price, but they'll give you less. If you account for that, you look at what the price of a beer is at your local bar. If you look at what your condo HOA fees are, you see the inflation. You see it, prop, you know, you see it 5%, 10% annually. So for the Fed to come back and tell everybody, well, it's not there is just bullshit. So between that delta, between what the Fed's telling you in actual inflation and the inequality gap widening, is it any wonder that people are starting to flip out and, and, and lose their shit? I mean, that is suffocating the lower and middle class. If your cost of living is going up 10% annually and CPI is 2%, so your cost of living uh, raise every year, say you got a decent job that does that. Most fucking jobs don't even do that. But say you get a cost of living increase every year. Maybe it's 2%, 4%, 5%. Say it's 5% and inflation is actually 10% per year. Well, that means you're falling behind 5% every single year that you work. And is it any wonder people feel like they can't get caught up Is it any wonder that people feel like they're getting the shit end of the stick? You know, I said about this GameStop thing, you got all these fucking people out there and they're all pissed off, but nobody really understands why they're pissed off. I mean, they know they have a bone to pick with Wall Street. But just like in 2008, their bone to pick isn't really with Wall Street, it's with the Fed, they just don't know it. They just don't know it. I mean, in 2008, all this inordinate risk was being taken because the banks knew that they weren't going to have to answer for it. They knew that the Fed was going to bail them out eventually. And so the Fed, though, it just exists. They're like the man behind the curtain. Nobody really considers that they're the problem. Everybody thinks that they're objectively doing a good job. And we need to have a massive psychological shift to understand that maybe that's where the alarm bells are coming from, right? Maybe the alarm is coming from inside the building, not outside the building. And we need to turn our attention and focus to the Fed. We don't, you know what? Maybe we don't even need the broad and the Fed. We don't have to get crazy. But I think just becoming aware that they could be causing more harm Say that they're causing 51% harm and they're helping 49% every time they intervene. Well, it doesn't matter because eventually that adds up and eventually you tip the scales 100% in, in the wrong direction. And not unlike macroeconomic variables themselves, when the equation starts to get out of whack a little bit, you're going to start getting feedback, nasty feedback. Not just austerity, but you get people lashing out. Just like economic indicators lash out. You ever take a uh, like a handful of fucking Play-Doh and you squeeze the fist tighter and tighter and tighter and you can say, hey, check it out. I can still, I can still close my fist all the way. Problem solved. But what you don't notice is the Play-Doh is starting to escape from in between your fingers and outside the side of your hands and it's just going all over the place. It needs somewhere to go. You can't just close that fist on it and make it disappear. And that's what the Fed is doing. They're adjusting certain economic variables, but the other ones need to adjust in kind. They don't just go away. So when you rig interest rates and you keep interest rates at zero, other macroeconomic indicators have to adjust accordingly. It's a system. They all work together. 
It's like a multifaceted system. You can't, you know, unilaterally change one part of the economy in a very drastic way and expect the rest of the economy not to react. And so that's what we're seeing, right? And the Fed thinks it's great. They're like, hey, we fucking turn the dial on interest rates and we print all this money and the market goes up. We get it, cause and effect. It's like, yeah, great, but are you seeing all of the other problems? Are you catching the Play-Doh escaping from in between the fingers? Because the Play-Doh escaping from in between the fingers is riots. It's people feeling the weighted blanket of all these pressures. It's going to the car ashtray and not having enough change in the ashtray anymore to get the cup of coffee in the morning, which is an example that I've lived. And I know other people have lived. It's having to choose between bills, right? What happens when you can't afford Netflix one month, even if it's not a necessity to live? But you got to ditch the Netflix bill because you need the $19.99 a month to add to your electric bill. Well, what does that mean? What's the result of that? That's that's your quality of life getting worse, right? And that's another thing. I've always said what makes the Fed's, the consequences of Fed policy so nefarious is you don't see them right away. They're not that obvious. It's prices going up over the course of a year. They kind of tick up. Nobody comes to your house and waves a fucking sign that says your gas bill's going up 10% this month. Aren't you fucking stoked about it? Nobody does that. If you're selling potato chips, they don't put on the front of the bag, last year $3.99, now $4.99. Enjoy it, dickhead. You know, (laughs) no, they make the bag two ounces smaller and they keep the price somewhat the same and they put some other label on it that says, new look, same great taste, which as George Carlin would say, basically means just bend over, right? (laughs) So what makes it nefarious is we don't see these things. You don't see inflation on a daily basis. Nobody mentions it at the fucking Super Bowl halftime show. Similarly, you don't see the wealth gap widening. It's just something that happens. Jeff Bezos wakes up and checks his brokerage statement at whatever, fucking Morgan Stanley, and he's got $10 billion today that he didn't have last week. Okay, like... What does that mean for you? Nothing. That means you had $500 in your checking account last week. And this week you still have $500 in your checking account. And maybe a a half of a cent in interest, right? So it doesn't mean anything to you. So you're bearing the brunt of all these rising costs. And meanwhile, the people at the top end of the spectrum as a result of Fed policy, they're outpacing inflation because of how much wealth they are accumulating due to these policies, Right? It's like if you're if you and Jeff Bezos are two dogs running around a fucking dog track, like those greyhound tracks where they shoot the rabbit up the side of the rail and the, the greyhound's gotta chase it around the tracks. And the rabbit that runs around the track that they're chasing, that's inflation. It's this moving target that you kind of always have to run to be catching up to. It's constantly devaluing your money by between 2 and 10% every year. It's your cost of living rising. It's all of those things. Rising taxes, too, are in there. Different, that's fiscal policy, not monetary policy, but still, still a, a reason to bend over nonetheless. And that rabbit takes off, right? And who are you? Well, you're John Q. Public. You work at the Popeyes at fucking 56 and market. 
you ride the subway to work every day and uh you know you don't have a car you got your own little apartment little tv you barely make the bills each month and you're able to sock away a hundred dollars a month for savings right and that's pretty much having a good if you can do that with one job working 40 hours a week you're chilling at this point what are you doing well you're losing ground to the rabbit the rabbit is going every time you run one lap at the track the rabbit's running like two laps so it doesn't matter it's a losing proposition the more you run the further away the rabbit gets and that fucking sucks that is a shitty feeling And that's why a lot of people feel like shit and a lot of people are protesting and a lot of people are fucking losing their minds. I mean, they say it's for all these other causes, but I think it's because they can't catch the rabbit. And what's Jeff Bezos doing? Well, when you wake up in the morning and clean the shit out of your eyes and check your brokerage statement and see that you made $50 million overnight because somebody is ramping the S&P futures at three o'clock in the morning and that those are now a tail wagging the dog type indicator, which leads stocks higher during the day. Well, what are you doing? You're running 554,000 laps around the track before the rabbit even finishes one lap. So that's what the people at the top are doing while you're just not making up ground. And mathematically, something has to give. I mean, certainly from an economic standpoint, something has to give. And that will be a major bubble burst or the dollar, the bottom falling out from underneath the dollar and a real big economic crisis. That's why when guys like Schiff talk about these major incoming crises, they're right. It's just a question of when. It's a mathematical fucking impossible. It's a mathematical certainty, rather. It's going to have to happen. At some point, the rabbit gets so far ahead, you just say, I quit. And you start running backwards. You ever be like down in a video game when you do one of those racing video games? And you just get lapped like six times by the race leader because you're doing so fucking bad. This happens to me every time I play online because everybody's better than me. And then by like lap six out of ten, I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to start driving backwards and just see if I can ram into people and fuck up other people's races. That's what happens in the public discourse when people get so far behind the rabbit. They just say, fuck it. We're not playing in this system anymore. I'm not in the race. I don't care if I lose. I have nothing to lose. And that's when you start seeing people lash out and you see real weird shit happen. And that's kind of what's happening with this Wall Street bets crowd. You know, they're pissed at something. They don't know why they're pissed, but they're pissed. And their grievance is legitimate. I just wish that they would understand that their grievance is really with the Fed. It's not with hedge funds. It's not with Wall Street. It's not with short sellers. It's with the Fed. And so back to the Austrian business cycle. Why is the Austrian business cycle important? Because when you have a recession, you take that little bit of medicine and you deal with that little bit of pain when the market pulls back and you deal with the bankruptcies and you deal with people having falling on hard times. But eventually, people get back out there. They get back to work. They want to improve their quality of life again. And the cycle starts all over again. People that failed in the previous cycle because maybe they're not efficient capital allocators or they're not great managers, they get a chance to restart with bankruptcy. They get a chance to restart from scratch. And when they do, the game isn't rigged. So maybe they do something different. You know, maybe you're running a donut shop and you never advertise. And 
the rising cost of your ingredients causes you to go out of business because you raise prices, customers don't want to come in anymore. And so when that goes bankrupting, you get a chance to restart under a new business cycle, you might do things differently. You might advertise more. You might sell, you know, you might buy futures contracts at certain prices for, you know, your ingredients in order to lock in prices. You just make changes. You adjust. You adapt. And then the second go round in that business cycle, you're likely to have better luck. And that's an important function because not only does it encourage you to keep trying and to learn and to do better and to evolve and to adapt as a business owner, but it rids the market of places for people to deploy capital where they're going to lose it. So when the stock market pulls back, a lot of companies that have insane valuations come back down to earth. You know, you'll see a company that isn't making real money. Maybe you'll see it has a PE of 50. It comes down to a PE of eight, right? And yes, that's an 85% loss or whatever for people that are holding the stock. So some people are going to get creamed, but that's what they get for taking on the risk of buying such an overvalued asset. And when that pulls back and that valuation pulls back, what it does is it protects people that are deploying capital now from furthering a bubble that is only eventually going to burst, right? It's a protection of sorts in that regard. But when you stimulate the economy to keep the markets up at any cost, all you do is you push that bubble out further and further and further, which means eventually when it pops, the consequences and the austerity are going to be significantly worse than if it had just popped naturally under a regular Austrian business cycle. So in other words, under the guise of making everything better, the Fed is making everything worse. And that is going to be a huge problem. And nobody understands it. Nobody realizes it. So what happens? What happens as a result of that? When the Fed wants to replace the stock market with its own reality, remember Mythbusters, I substitute your reality or I I reject your reality and substitute my own. When they want to do that with the stock market, not only does it make that inequality gap wider, like we're talking about, but it also creates enormous malinvestment. It creates big bubbles, okay? Dogecoin, which is a essentially fake cryptocurrency that was created as a joke, is intrinsically worth zero, all right? Now has a $6 billion market cap. And head ringleader, Mr. N- Mr. Nobody has benefited from the fucking bubble in capital markets more than Elon Musk is out there pumping it. And he thinks it's funny. He thinks it's hilarious. He's out there putting tweets about it. No highs, no lows, just doge. Okay, great. So now you got a bunch of 18-year-olds that know dick about cryptocurrency or the markets out there dumping their government stimulus checks, which is that 20% that we're really getting fucked by getting that tiny ass little amount of money that they're getting. That's just going to disappear. So they're not even going to be able to do anything worthwhile with their 20%. They're putting it into Dogecoin, which is a about as speculative of an asset as you can get. It's a asset created as a joke in an asset class that nobody even knows whether or not it'll be legal today, tomorrow, next week, next year, next century. Well, Chris, well, it's peer to peer. It's decentralized. Hey, motherfuckers, if the government wants to shut it down, they're going to shut it down. 
Trust me, when the U.S. Marshals show up at your front door and they say, hey, were you transacting in crypto this year? Because you know it's against the law. You can't just say, well, excuse me, sir. It's a decentralized uh, currency, so you're not allowed to be at my house. The fucking U.S. Marshal that's at your front door, okay, who was a high school wrestler and it has, barely has a triple-digit IQ and spent his days at the range taking target practice and likes to beat this shit out of people for sport. <laughs> that guy's not going to accept that argument. Sir, excuse me, could I just, uh, I've got a white paper here. Could I show you? It's a, uh, this, according to this white paper by Sashitoshi Nakamoto, it is a decentralized asset. He's going to be like, motherfucker, get in the back of the car. You're going to jail. And uh, unfortunately, I mean, there's a broader ideological argument you can make there. Yes, we shouldn't have to enforce the money. We shouldn't have to back the money with guns, right? Jim Rickards talks about that once in a while. But I mean, that's the reality of things. So now you have Dogecoin, a fake asset in an asset class that nobody knows whether or not it'll be legal, being pumped by a guy whose company can't consistently turn a profit from selling automobiles, which is their core business, whose market cap was like $50 billion last year. But meanwhile, this guy has added $100 billion to his net worth last year alone at the same time that the country has 10 million people out of work and is in an enormous economic depression. That guy, who, by the way, if that was you, you're the luckiest motherfucker on earth. Take the money and run. Take the money and run. I'm stepping down as CEO. I've sold some stock. I'm stepping down as CEO. I'm going to be executive chairman. I'm going to bring in Mark Fields or Mary Barra as CEO. And I'm going to a beach on Cabo. And I'm going to mind my own business and make sure I don't piss off the SEC anymore. That guy who should be doing that, that guy is instead on Twitter pumping this worthless asset. Folks, that is what happens when you have a market that is in a bubble. Okay, you have Dogecoin with a $6 billion market cap being pumped by a fucking billionaire, okay, who told the SEC, literally, literally told the SEC to suck his dick. That's what he said. I mean, it's just, I don't really get it. But if you can't see that we're in a period of excess from that, folks, I'm not sure what's going to do it for you. Maybe GameStop will do it for you. Maybe a trillion dollars worth of hot money that goes to retail investors who have no clue about the stock market or how it works, dumping money into a speculative asset and driving the price of a failing retailer from, you know, three to 400 in the course of whatever, two months, maybe that'll do it for you. And the worst part about the GameStop thing is, and I'm not going to go into it too much. I did a whole video on it. So if you want my thoughts on GameStop, go to my YouTube channel. The video is called The Weighted Blanket Theory. It's 15 minutes, explains everything I think about it. But the worst part about the GameStop debacle is now they're going to drag this kid who made, you know, $43 million or whatever off the uh, off the short squeeze in front of Congress, which actually, you know, people will say, all right, they're making them into a scapegoat. But the, the point of the matter is there is a legit reason to investigate. I mean, you can't artificially create a price for a security by manipulating the market. It's just illegal. Um, and so there is, I know the Wall Street Bats guys are going to hate this, but there is a reason for the SEC to look at it because you can't artificially inflate prices. That's market manipulation. And they say, well, hedge funds do that all the time. It's like, actually, no, they don't. The Fed does it all the time. The Fed artificially inflates prices. The Fed is guilty of market manipulation. 
The Fed manipulates the market every day when they buy bonds, when they buy junk bonds, when they make the rich richer. That's market manipulation. But the worst part is they're going to drag this kid in front of Congress at a panel led by Maxine Waters, okay, who knows as much about finance as I do about reading hieroglyphics. I look at hieroglyphics on the wall of a pyramid. What am I looking at? I don't know. You got a bird. You got a fucking guy holding the thing. You got the eyeball thing. What does it mean? I don't know. Who knows? Maxine Waters, look at the same thing. Well, you got your stock price here. You got your CNBC over here. What does it all mean? I don't know. (laughs) She's going to be heading up the panel. Great confidence booster there. That justice will be done. And by the way, speaking of CNBC and Dogecoin, real quick, if I can go on a tangent. CNBC had Dogecoin up on the TV yesterday. Like it's something. They had a chart of it. Here it is. We're tracking Dogecoin. It's like, okay. By the way, what's the ratio of, you know, unicorns to fucking leprechauns to widgets? You might as well talk about that. Why don't you put a chart up of fairy dust? What does he say in Chasing Amy? Because it's all a figment of your fucking imagination. (laughs) Talk about enabling. Right? Again. Fake asset, fake asset class on the front page of CNBC, on the TV. We're tracking Dogecoin today. It's very interesting. So in case you're wondering who the Fed's enablers are, other than Elon Musk, you might want to take a look at that. I mean, there's just no excuse for for putting a Dogecoin chart on CNBC. Other than, I don't know, maybe it's some kind of producer decision to attract a younger audience to watch the station but anytime you even talk about it you're giving it credence like I'm doing now I mean I'm I'm acknowledging its existence right which is probably more than I should be doing but it is really the quintessential example of markets just completely out of control back to this congressional panel and by the way this isn't just about Maxine Waters this is about people on both sides of the aisle there are people on both sides of the aisle that don't get finance and they don't get fiscal policy and they don't get monetary policy and they don't understand it and for them to have a congressional hearing on it is just you know it would be like putting me in a room with a nuclear physicist and saying all right chris try to try to catch him lying you know first question i have no fucking clue whether or not what he says to me is right or not i'd be like sir uh, excuse me is gravity a wave or a particle? And he'd be like, well, recent studies show that it could be a wave, but in the past we had considered gravity was a particle and we discovered molecules on the moon of Jupiter that have furthered our understanding of string theory and whether or not multi-dimensional universes could in fact exist within a can of Pringles. And I'd be like, yeah, all right, well... Okay, you know, it sounds good to me. I don't fucking have any clue what I'm talking about. And it's going to be the same thing with the congressional hearings. And of course, you'll get the requisite grandstanding. And you'll get the requisite, you know, try to catch somebody. Did you write this email? Yes, I did. Oh, yeah? And were you were you using a keyboard when you wrote it? Uh, yes, I was. Well, 
I think we all know what that means. No, we don't. Well, I gotcha. You know, and then they'll take that clip and they'll put it on their Twitter feed and act as though, hey, I'm doing something. I'm governing. Re-elect me. Free stuff. Bad people here. Bad. People at hearing, bad. People doing hearing, good. You have any questions? Well, what's actually going to happen is the same thing that happens at all these congressional hearings. The political term for it is jack shit, as in nada. (laughs) You ever see Three Amigos where he's like, isn't that a light chicken gravy? (laughs) Do you know what nada means? Isn't that a light chicken gravy? Nothing is going to happen. Nothing will come of it. What's going to happen is, and if you're going into a congressional hearing, here's the mindset you got to adapt. It's a marathon. It's a 12-round boxing match. The worst part about it is you got to sit in the same fucking chair for eight hours. And you got to listen to, you know, AOC, or you got to listen to Ted Cruz, or you got to listen to somebody drone on and on and on in grandstand. That's really the worst part. You can come up with answers to the questions. You know, there will be answers. They'll have answers pre-scripted. You know, it was the clearing houses that required an additional capital requirement for us. <sniffs> Holy shit. The worst part's just going to be staying awake. You get to the end of the day, the end of the hearing, you make your opening statement, you make your closing statement, you deal with the questions, you go out to drink, have a martini, you go to the steakhouse, and it's over. Nothing happens. Nothing comes of it. So I'll give you the congressional hearing in advance, right? Vlad is going to walk in. Ken Griffin's going to walk in. Deep fucking value, whatever his name is. Roaring kitty cat. (laughs) That guy's going to walk in. In suits, looking all serious. They're going to sit down with notes and legal pads. They're going to make their opening statement. Hello, uh, my name is fucking so-and-so. I have constantly pushed for reform of the financial markets, and I advocate for the little man and the democratization of financial assets. I would be happy to take your questions right now. I love that. They always say that. I would be happy to take any questions right now. And then you're going to get like seven hours of morons that don't understand finance asking finance questions. Um, like, how come the stock has to go down after it went up? Uh, can't it just keep going up and then everybody will be billionaires? Like, you guys, stop hoarding the wealth. Stop hoarding the wealth, you guys. Uh, thank you for the question. Uh, unfortunately, there is a bid and an ask on every stock. There is a buyer and a seller for every transaction. And if sellers overwhelm the buyers, then the stock price does, in fact, move down. Well, how come we don't have more buyers? I mean, we should have the democratization of finance where everybody, everybody's entitled to stock. Everybody's entitled to buy stock. You know, everybody should have the opportunity. It should be an equal opportunity. What are you guys doing to help minorities buy stock? You know, are you are you prejudiced against minorities? How come a minority can't come in and pay a, a $65,000 billion trillion dollar valuation for a retailer that should have been bankrupt four months ago? Are you guys racist? Uh, no, and uh, we're happy to take any additional questions. So it's going to be eight hours of that. And then uh, Ken Griffin and Vlad Tenev, or whatever his name is, and Roaring Kitty Cat of Thunder... They're all going to go out and probably go to the Outback together and split a bloom and onion. Talk about how fucking stupid all the questions were. Thus ending our congressional hearing. We have done our job. What is our job? We don't know, but we've done something, as you can tell from the fact that we all showed up here today and, and lobbed questions. You remember when Peter Schiff went in front of Congress? 
think that was like after 2008. Man, he gave some great answers to some great questions. If only anybody had listened to him. But that's not really what happens. And there's no consequences. You know, if you go before Congress, there's no, you know, it's not a deposition. It's not, you know, I don't think you could admit it into uh, uh, like criminal court. And so it's just a dog and pony show, which really is what most of government is. So they are going to accomplish precisely nothing on February 18th. Look forward to that. By the way, you know, I love this too. We're going to schedule the, the, all this shit happened two weeks ago. Let's schedule a, a congressional hearing for February 18th. Nobody's even going to remember what happened by February 18th. We're moving at the speed of government. You know, if the United States were to undergo a nuclear holocaust tomorrow that wiped out humanity as we know it today or tomorrow, Congress would schedule a meeting about it in 2022. Can we get together in 2022 and discuss this? Uh, No, sorry, sir. You've already been burnt to a crisp. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, I guess time is of the essence then. Yeah. And it's the same, it's the same with this thing. You know, well, we're going to have a, let's have a meeting in three weeks about it. By the way, in three weeks, something else will have already gone horribly wrong. There will be another riot. There will be more civil unrest. The market will have gone ass up in another direction. And they'll be scheduling and talking about the next congressional hearing. So what you'll get is you'll get a lot of faux outrage from uninformed people. And that's a, it's an interesting combination, really, to fake that you're mad about something that you don't know anything about. Because oftentimes, you bring up points that aren't really, they just don't make sense. So we'll look forward to that, and I'm sure I'll have something to say about that as it happens, after it happens. The broader picture, though, is you got to respect the Austrian business cycle. You have to let the cycle go. You have to let free markets go. Otherwise, we get all this excess, you know? The, I saw this morning the ARC fund, the ARC Innovation Fund, Kathy Woods thing. She's got ETFs, right? They had $3 billion in management last year. This year they have $50 billion in management. Okay. Is she really a super genius? Or did she do really well because somebody bought a lot of out-of-the-money call options in Tesla? And Tesla, by the way, that's the other thing too. Tesla had essentially the same gamma squeeze that GameStop had, except Tesla's was over 18 months and GameStop was over two weeks. And nobody talks about that. As a matter of fact, people come back and are saying, Tesla investors were right. Well, they were right about what? The, the top line doesn't really seem to be growing that much. We don't have the robo-taxis on the road. The full self-driving is putting cars through the front windows at donut shops in small-town America. Cars are catching on fire in parking garages. What were they right about? Well, they were right that the stock would go up. Okay, well, why did the stock go up? Did it go up as a result of the business? No, went up as a result of market participants pushing it higher. Well, where did all that steam come from? Where did all that hot money come from? Where did you find enough dumbasses to bid up the stock and buy the options? Well, the Fed cut everybody checks. Well, why did the Fed cut everybody checks? Well, because they're trying to stop a recession. Yeah, but isn't that gonna make things worse for all the people, you know, Take one guy who gets a $1,200 check, puts that into a speculative asset. Let's say he puts it into ARKK, right? Which is Tesla and other assorted deep value stocks. I'll pause for laughter. (laughs) 
<laughs> Let's say, oh, fuck you. I just got a message. Sorry, I got to turn that off. Let's say that guy takes his 1200 and piles it into the ARK ETF, which is essentially a basket of speculative high valuation names. We're helping the little guy. We gave him 1200. He's got access to the markets. Have a great day. That guy takes that money and he says, I'm going to open up a Robinhood account and start my journey to becoming the world's richest man. I'm watching all these people online making trillions. I need to do the same thing. We're going to put 1200 in Kathy Wood's fucking ETF, right? Then we have an actual stock market pullback. What happens? Well, that pullback is way more violent than it would normally be because we've gone very far in the other direction. So the gate is swinging wildly. We've built up all this uh, potential energy in one direction that then becomes kinetic energy when the bubble bursts that the ARK ETF goes down 85% instead of the 50% it would normally go down during a regular uh, market pullback. Well, what does that mean? It means that guy, that 1,200, you know, now becomes 400 instead of becoming 600. So that guy loses an extra $200. Take that guy, multiply him by, you know, the 8 million people that are on Wall Street bets and another probably 10 million people out there, retail investors doing the same thing. And you can see how that could make a problem much worse eventually. And then you get into this feedback cycle where people feel even more that they've been screwed and feel like they need to lash out in one way or another because of it. And the whole thing starts all over again. So until we actually take the medicine and the Fed lets things calm down, all of these people that don't deserve the blame will continue to catch the blame. Herb Greenberg did a great piece. If you look at my Twitter from yesterday, he did a great piece on CNBC. By the way, if you work at CNBC, you should hire Herb Greenberg back full time. I know he probably doesn't even want to come back on. He's doing his own thing now. But talk about like the only guy with a brain. I mean, he, well, Guy Adami has a brain too. I like him. He's a good dude. Won't come back on my podcast. I think I think his peers at CNBC gave him the nod. Guy, probably shouldn't go back on that show. Either that or I'm too risky of a podcast to go back on. Either way, I've spent precisely zero seconds thinking about it. But, uh... Herb had a great segment basically talking about the values of short sellers. You know, short sellers get a lot of blame. They get a lot of blame. If you go and look at the name of a stock that somebody has come out and shorted, and you look at all the responses on Twitter, what do you see? Squeeze the shorts. Fuck the shorts. The shorts gotta die. You know, 311 had a song called Misdirected Hostility, and that's what that is. Shorts are trying to do what the market should be doing which is reigning in excess. The Fed isn't allowing them to do that. And by the way, if shorts are wrong, they get their dick punched in. They lose money. So don't worry about it. The market, if you're right, if your investment thesis is right and you're long a stock and a short seller is wrong, short sellers are going to lose a lot of money. The market will figure it out. Don't worry about it. They're not unlimited institutions with firepower to compress a stock and put 9 trillion shares on the offer when there's only a million shares outstanding. They don't have that unlimited infinite power. That unlimited infinite power resides on the long side. That's what the Fed does. They have the unlimited power to prop up stocks. Shorts are swimming against the stream. Neil Kashkari literally said in an interview, we have infinite amount of money. If you don't believe me, watch him say it. 
But all these people that shouldn't be getting the blame are now getting the blame. So now, thanks to the Fed, we have raised an entire generation of stupid, hot money pouring into speculative assets that have no clue what fundamental valuation is, have no clue how the capital markets work, have no clue who the real enemy is, have no clue how hedge funds work, but yet some reason know that they're the enemy. They don't, they don't really get it. You know, you know what a hedge fund is? It's nothing. It's a mutual fund just with some short positions, essentially. It's an actively managed fund. It's the ARK ETF. You know, all it is is it's actively managed. It's just a, a fund manager taking a bunch of positions, long and short, and trying to beat the market. That's what a hedge fund is. That's the big fucking nefarious secret. If they do well and they beat the market, the hedge fund manager makes money. If they don't do well, they make less money. That's the big secret. They're the mystery of the hedge funds, the evil hedge funds. There it is. You know what a short seller is? It's a guy that thinks a business sucks or is fraudulent and bets against it instead of bets with it. That's it. There's no big nefarious naked fucking this, that, the other. It's not, and, 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 and the Fed policy is the crack that is like enabling this younger generation of misinformed people to be out there speaking all this nonsense and garbage and threatening short sellers, calling their families because they're misinformed. They don't know who the enemy is. The enemy isn't Andrew Left. If Andrew Left shorts a stock that I'm in and I think he's wrong, I'm going to buy more. And the market will determine who the winner is. And guess what? If I'm a long investor, I got the Fed on my side too, providing unlimited liquidity to the capital markets. So if the stock goes down after then, wow, it must have been really overvalued or really fraudulent and I must have been really wrong. But the default is the rabbit's going to keep running around the track. The stock's going to keep going up. The tide is going to keep coming out. You know, this incessant push of stocks higher is going to continue. Andrew Left is, has all the odds stacked against him when he shorts something. And you can say what you want about him and his thesis and whatever. But any short seller, they have the odds stacked against them when they short. They're not, they're not the suits. They're not the guys pulling the strings. You guys got it wrong. The enemy is the Fed. Because the Fed is what is perpetuating this misinformation. People look at the stock market as it exists today and think that that's a free market and that that's a natural market and prices are where they would naturally be. And that's just not the case. You have to learn that you are playing with fake money in a rigged system that benefits the ultra wit. Nice job, fuckhead, on the finishing statement. You have to learn that you are playing with fake money in a rigged system that is specifically set up to get politicians reelected and to make the rich richer, that is being regulated by people that don't understand it and is being run by a central bank that is essentially untouchable. That central bank runs our system in our country while other major central banks around the world also run their respective monetary Ponzi schemes. All of those central banks work together in one giant global prisoner's dilemma 
which is the fiat fantasy. And collectively, that determines what the global economy looks like. Until you understand exactly how the system is skewed, and until you have a firm grasp of the playing field that you're on, you have to understand all the players, and you have to understand all of the various networks and systems. And I don't understand it all. That's why I watch George Gammon. He gets it way more than I do. So shameless plug for Rebel Capitalist program, but I really like it. You have to understand all of that before you can begin to even try to get in there and swing. Because if you're in the middle class and you're in the lower class, you know correctly that the game is rigged against you, but you have no clue how bad it is. You have no clue. You think you may be facing just some slight disadvantages, but the weighted blanket is still coming down upon you, and it weighs way more than you think. It weighs so much so that it will prevent you from moving, and it will take the air out of your body eventually. That's how much the weighted blanket weighs. And it all happens behind the scenes. The inflation happens behind the scenes. The money printing happens behind the scenes. The taxation happens behind the scenes. The rich get richer behind the scenes. It all happens behind the curtain. And it's the Fed talking to Congress and Congress talking to the Fed. And it's Yellen as Treasury Secretary the former Fed chair getting speaking fees from Citadel and Citadel being friends with Jerome Powell and having him come and speak at events and all these guys together in this circle. It all happens behind the scenes. And you spend your day dutifully getting up, going to work in the morning as a f- whatever, fabricator. You make seventeen seventy-five an hour. You got a union you put food on the plate, you put gas in the tank, you love your wife, you love your kids, life is good, you're doing the best that you can, and you know you're at a disadvantage, but you just don't know how bad it is. And when I started this series, Our Bullshit Economy, that was the point. The point is, it's all bullshit. The whole thing. The whole thing. And and the fucked up thing is, it's not going away anytime soon. So your best bet is to try and understand it. That's it. I hope you guys have a great Saturday. Have a great Super Bowl Sunday. I got my ass kicked at Open Mat this morning, so I'm going to go lick my wounds and uh, make myself some lunch. But I'm the fuck out of here. Peace.